Okay, we're picking up here on the top of Ted Vavaman Aleph, 11 dines down. The Gemara says, Amar of Nachman, Malachi, Zem Mordechai. Malachi and Mordechai are synonymous. The Navi, Malachi, Mordechai that's found in Megillat Esther. Lamani Krashmo Malachi. Then if his name is Mordechai, why is he called Malachi? Shea Mishneh Lamelech. Because he was the viceroy to the king. Malach or Melech. He was like a Malach. He had power. He was within the political echelons of Shushan, of the kingdom of Achashverosh. Meitavei, is that really true? Baruch ben Neria, Usraya ben Machseya, who we mentioned yesterday both as being Talmidim of Yirmiyahu and Navi, and individuals who are Kwanim, Nevi'im, and descendants of Rachav Azona, Vidaniel, Mordechai Bilshan, which is Mordechai with the addition of the Bilshan, which some associate with the word Lashon, because he was a member of the Sanhedrin and knew the 70 Lishonot, Vichagai, Zachariah, Umalachi, were all contemporaries in terms of their Nivuah, Daniel, Chagai, Zachariah, Umalachi, and now we have Mordechai, and then two of Yirmiyahu's Talmidim thrown in there. Kulan Nitnabnu Bishnat Shtayim Ledayevish. They all prophesied in the second year of Daryavish Hasheni, which according to Chazal is the son of Esther and Achashverosh, who permits the building of the Meit HaMikdash 18, 19 years after Koresh allowed the return of the Jews to Zion, but then halted the building of the Beit HaMikdash. So Daryavish Hasheni, in the third year of his reign, allows them to return and start building the Mikdash. And here it's they all had prophecy at the same time. The question derives from the fact that Malachi and Mordechai are mentioned as separate individuals, and never Tiyufta, that's a strong refutation of Rav Nachman's position. Tanya, Amar Yeshua ben Karcha, Malachi ze Ezra, that the Malachi, the Navi, and Ezra, found in the Ketuvim, are synonymous. Malachi just say, Malachi is Malachi. He's just a Navi, and he's not anybody else. Amar Rav Nachman, Mistavra Kamandamar, Malachi ze Ezra. Makes sense to associate Malachi with Ezra, Dichtiv Beniviot Malachi, because it says in the prophecies of Malachi, Baghdad Yehuda, Yehuda rebelled, Betoiva Nestab Israel, and an abomination was done in Israel, Birushalayim, Kichilel Yehuda Kodesh Hashem, they profaned that which was holy to Hashem, Ubal Bat El Nechar, that they fell in love and married or consorted with the daughters of foreign gods meaning that they married non-Jewish women. Uman Afrish Nashim Nachriot, who was the individual that led a revolution in order to have the Jewish people who were living in Eretz Yisrael at the time divorce, rid themselves of their foreign wives. Ezra, because it says, Bayan Shchanya ben Yechiel mibnei Elam. Bayomer leEzra, Nachnu maalnu belukeno. We have wronged our God, and Oshiv Nashim Nachriot, and we took foreign wives, and then they agree with the pressing of Ezra to rid themselves of these foreign wives and to do tshuva. So you see that Malachi's nivu'ah about foreign wives actually comes to fruition under the auspices of Ezra, and Ezra then works to undo or remove the problem of the foreign wives. Therefore, they associate the two of them together. Now, what's interesting over here in terms of associating different characters with individuals that we know, with regards to Mordechai, that's because the name Mordechai, the Gemara already darshaned, means Mardechai, but the meaning, like that of Esther, which the Gemara already mentioned earlier, who is a Yelatashachar Istahar, which is a Persian name, and it's one of the Persian gods, so too Mordechai or Marmaduk is one of the Persian gods. So it's a non-Jewish name. And so the Chachamim might be trying to, over here, associate with Mordechai, who is an unknown figure and does not carry a Jewish name, trying to associate him with an individual who was much more prominent in terms of their nivuah and their connection to Hashem, 
And that way it elevates the stature or the status of Megillat Esther. And the same might be true of Ezra, because Ezra leads, as we know, a number of revolutions, including what the Gemara noted before about the switching the language and the font that was used for the Sefer Torah, as amongst other things. And Ezra was found in the Ketuvim, if the Gemara associates him with the Navi, then once again it elevates his status, it gives more tokef to that which he did and, and the revolutions that he led. Although, just in general, that Chazal have a principle of conservation of characters, which is that they try to combine or consolidate the number of individuals so that they are all one. And usually when they do that, it's not necessarily that they are synonymous or they're the same person. Many times they're trying to draw a parallel between these individuals that they both did things that were significant. They led revolutions. They did something that was of a similar ilk. And therefore, Chazal associate the characters together. Now we'll see coming up in the Gemara again with regards to other individuals. There were four, what seems to be the most beautiful women in the world, and the Gemara enumerates them as Sarah, Rachav, Avigail, Vester, in chronological order. Tosafot right away asks, what about Chava? Because the Gemara in Baba Batra says that Sarah looked like a monkey next to Chava, so why isn't she mentioned? So Tosafot says, over here, it's only mentioned individuals who were born from human parents, not someone who was created by the hand of God. And therefore, Chava is not included in the list, even though she might have been more beautiful than all of these women. Like we saw previously, there's an opinion that Esther was jaundice, that she was discolored. They take out Esther and they put back in Vashti instead, that Vashti was so beautiful and not Esther. Although, as we noted before, and the Gemara is going to speak about this later on, possibility is that it wasn't her natural coloring or natural beauty, but rather it was a result of her fasting before she came into Achashverosh, and that's why she was Yerach because she was famished, and she was gaunt going into Achashverosh after she had fasted for three days. Someone who mentions the name of Rachav is impacted. Zinta. It kindles lust for Znut inside of the individual. Yael Bikola. Yael does that with her voice. Avigail Bizchirata. Avigail just by remembering her. And Michal Bachul Biriata. By her sight. All of these women are very beautiful. They didn't all make the top four list, but nevertheless, these are women who are very attractive. And these are different means of attraction. And therefore, some of the poskim, like the Nodi Behuda, point to these as being issues for Giroi seduction, or kindling lust, and therefore a person should be careful with regards to these issues with women. The Marsha does mention that there are hints at all of this in the Psukim, because it says with regards to Rachav, Ushma Rachav, that her name was Rachav, so it has a focus on her name. By Yael it says, Vatomeilav Surah Aduni, she seduces Sisra to come to her tent by speaking to him. So it's her voice that was the attraction. Abigail, it says, amatecha. We saw yesterday that she encourages David to remember her. That's the Zikaron. By Michal, it says, She was looking out or watching from the window. So again, her sight or seeing her was something that was attractive. So these are hinted to it in the Psukim, but might have broader application halakhically in terms of being careful not to be entrapped or captured by the seductions that could be problematic. So Rabbi Yitzchak says, anybody who says Rachav's name twice, immediately has a seminal omission. I did that, and it had no impact on me. 
as we saw back in the Gemara in Tanit, in Davhei, when it mentioned this Gemara, Ki Gamina Biodat Umakira. That's when you know her and are familiar with her. Rashi says that knowing her and being familiar with her are just synonymous, that you actually have seen her. You've seen her beauty. Whereas Tosafot takes it much more literally and says Yoda means that person who had intercourse with her Umakira and is familiar with her means someone who's experienced her will have this effect. And therefore, obviously, it does not have an effect on Rav Nachman because he never had met her. And obviously, Rav Yitzchak must also had it bimisora because he didn't know Rachav either. And therefore, he couldn't definitely say that that was the case. And number two is he wouldn't be permitted to do it because it would have caused a similar omission. So it must have been something that he had bimisora. And therefore, it doesn't have any impact on him or on Rav Nachman because they didn't know her. They were just passing on the tremendous draw and seduction of Rachav Azona. Mordechai Yadad Kol Asher Nasa, and then it's like dot 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 because the Megillah continues. Mordechai Yadad Kol Asher Nasa, Vayikra Mordechai Begadav, Vayubash Sak Veifer, Veitzim Tochayir, Vayzak Zaka Gedola Umara. And that's now what the question the Gemara is going to deal with. What is this? Vayzak Zaka Gedola Umara. My Amar. What did he say? Rav Amar Gava Haman Meachash Veirosh. That Haman now is exceeded Chash Veirosh meaning that Achashverosh was limited in what he wanted to do to the Jews, or what he would have done to the Jews. Now Haman has taken over, and now things are going to be much worse, because Haman is now taking the plans of Achashverosh, or even exceeding what Achashverosh wanted to do, and now it's really bad for the Jews with when Haman's in charge. That the king above has now exceeded the king below. Rashi says it's a Lashon Sagi Nohor, which is that it's euphemistic, meaning the other way around, that the king down below now has been given rights to act without the intercession of the king above. It is now clear that Mishnah Shemaim, they're not going to interfere, and that this Gezerah is going to be carried out against the Jews. And somewhat hinted in the Pasuk is the fact that Mordechai Yada, he knew something that not anybody else knew because the information was public about the Gezerah. And so what Rashi says in the Megillah is that he knew that Mishnah Shemaim, they agreed to this Gezerah, that they were on board for this Gezerah, which meant that it was very bad, and that's probably why Rashi got it from the statements that are made here by Rav and Shmuel. Miyar Dvaj has a nice idea that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says in Moe Katan Mosei, Mi Moshel B, who rules over me, who is able to change my mind about Zerod, is the Tzaddik, which means normally that Tata, those down below, are able to influence that which goes on above. And when Mordechai says the opposite, that Ilaa, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Gzerah is in place, Above the Tata'a, means that Tzadikim no longer have the ability to influence. That means that his ability to daven and change the outcome had been taken away. And that's why he was calling out, Vayizak Zakak Dola Umara. It was bitter because he realized that this was a Gzera Min Hashemayim that wouldn't necessarily become overcome. And in that way, you could read the statement, not as a Lashon Saginor euphemistically, but rather just literally, that the Malkai law, Kodesh Borchu, was no longer going to be influenced by Malkata, by the Tzadikim. Batit Chalchal Malka. Esther was very disturbed, afraid. Ma'ivetit chalchal. Seems to me that the Gemara is focused both on the word itself, but also on the duplication. It could have just said vetit chal, and that would have been sufficient. The fact that it says vetit chalchal sounds like there's some sort of extreme type of fear or discomfort or disturbance that Esther has from the news that she receives. Amarab shepirsa nida that she had a menstrual sighting, that she had an urge to relieve herself. It might be, it's known that medically, when someone faces something that's very traumatic, or they have tremendous fear, that they sometimes lose control over their bodily functions, 
That could maybe mean what means Hutsuracha Linikaveha, or possibly Pirsa Nida, although the Gemara in Nida, in the first parak, discusses the fact that a woman who's in fear might be Misuleket Damim, they have just the opposite, Machloket there of the Tanaim, but maybe they're associated. The Mara has a nice thought over here, which is that Pirsa Nida and Susanikaveha, which is a sign of Tum'ah, and therefore that the Kochota Tum'ah, or the evil people, were now becoming ascendant over Klal Yisrael, and this was a hint to her that this was taking place, and it was very serious. It might also relate to the distinction between whether the sin was a spiritual sin, which is the Tum'ah that's associated with Pirsanida, or was it a sin of physical or pleasure that was the undoing of Klal Yisrael at this time, and that's Yehutzruchadinikavah, that she had to relieve herself some physical bodily function. So it might be that it's hinting at maybe what was the reason for the problem, whether it was a spiritual reason or more of a physical reason. But Tikray Esther Hatach, Esther calls Hatach, Amarav Hatach Zedaniel. That Hatach is synonymous with Daniel. The Lamanikro Shmo Hatach, Shechatchua Migdulato. Because they cut him down from his position of power or his authority. Anything that the king did was done by his consultation. So we'll read one little piece here, and then we'll come back and explain this. The dat maze val maze. She wanted to know about this and about that. So the duplication again of the language troubles Chazal, and they say, "Amar Yisroch Shachalo Shema Avru Yisrael Achamisha Chum Shei Torah." Sends Hatach to Mordechai to find out what's going on. And she says, that is a reference to the by the Luchot, it's written, So therefore the Aseret Debrot are a Tamsit concentration of the entire Torah. And therefore she was suggesting that maybe there was a violation of the Torah by Klausel, and that's what the issue was. This, according to the Marshal, is the evidence of the fact that Hatach was Daniel. And that is because, based on the fact that she sent him with this message, means that he was Jewish, who was one of the Sarisei HaMelech. And we don't find anyone else who's called a Sarisei HaMelech, or a Jewish individual that's called Sarisei HaMelech, besides from Daniel. And so the only two Jews in the Persian Median Empire that have the status of Sarisei HaMelech was Daniel and Hatach. And if you assume that Hatach was someone who was on the inside, meaning that he was Jewish and he understood what Esther was sending to Mordechai in these hints, or because he was trustworthy to Esther and Mordechai, which indicates that he was an insider or Jewish, then Atach would be then synonymous with Daniel. That's how the Marsha sees the impetus for what the Gemara is saying, that they were the same individual. And again, it might also have to do with the personalities and where we find Hatak and Daniel acting in these situations, that there is a lot of similarity or commonality between them, that might indicate that they are the same person, not literally, but the same person in terms of what they do, how they act, and their interactions. Now, in terms of why was Daniel called Chatach, Shvatchua Migdulato, Rashi over here says, because he served under the administrations of Belshazzar, Koresh, and Daryavish, and then he was deposed by Achashverosh. So that was the change that Daniel, who until this point was influential over the Persian kings, lost that influence, and that allows the opening for Haman to come in. But though the Marsha says that it's more logical to say that he was deposed from the time of Nebuchadnezzar into the time of Belshazzar, because he was elevated by Nebuchadnezzar to be a significant player in the Machut, and Belshazzar only puts him over a smaller smaller area or region that he was in charge of, therefore he was already deposed 
at that point in time. And the Meshachokma has an interesting statement over here as to why Daniel lost his standing is because Daniel was unique in the fact that he was Moser Nefesh for HaKadosh Baruch Hu when they put him into the Gov HaRayot, when they put him into the lion's den, as we're going to speak about later in today's daf. But once it came to the miracle of Purim, where all of Klaisro were Moser Nefesh in order to be saved from the decree of Haman, then Daniel was no longer unique or special and that's what causes his the diminution in position because he was no longer so unique. Then it says, Esther. Esther does not really accept Mordechai's suggestion that she should go in and speak with the king because it's too risky. And then it seems that it, the information gets back to Mordechai, but it says, Mordechai. In plural, it says that it came, he was told it. If Hatach went back, it should have said that the Mordechai divrei Esther or that Hatach went back, that's not mentioned there. The Gemara learns from this, that Hatach himself didn't go, unless you learn that you don't bring back, you can say more generically, bad news, or in this instance also, the rejection of the suggestion of the individual. You don't want to be the bearer of bad news, especially if you were the messenger that brought the information one way, you don't want to go back with the bad news. Let somebody else do that or let the information seep out to that individual. You shouldn't be the one who brings back the rejection or the bad news. Esther says to Mordechai, go and gather together all Yudim. That statement of Esther, until it finishes her statement where she says she's going to enter into a Hashverosh against the normal etiquette. It's not going to be the way that it normally is. It's going to breach the normal protocols. Until this point in time, she was under duress when she went to Hashverosh. She didn't go willingly. She was taken. And when he asked for her, that wasn't her choice anymore. She's presenting herself willingly. And therefore, the way I was lost, I will be lost. Just like I was taken forcefully from my father's house or from my nation or from where I was beforehand to be in the palace with the Chashirosh, at this point now, I'm going to be lost from you. And as Rashi explains over here, this is based on the Agarita we saw before, that Esther was married to Mordechai and she was only together with the Chashirosh under duress and then she returned to Mordechai. But now if she's a willing Mizana, she engages in adultery willingly, then she can no longer return to her husband. And this presenting herself in a willing manner before Hashverosh will now preclude her from returning to Mordechai. What's interesting over here, again, is that Tosafo takes it very literally. He says, Vim Tomar, my Garsha. Why didn't Mordechai just divorce her to avoid this problem? So Tosafo over here says, because it would have been a big public incident. Because you have to do it in front of Tuedim. The whole point of doing something in front of Tuedim is so that it is publicized. Maybe that the king would find out about it, and therefore he wanted to keep it under wraps. Although the Rashba questions what type of publicity is involved in having two edim, especially according to those that suggest that you can divorce either b'ktav yodo, at least min Torah, or according to the Rif, you can even do it ben ola ben You can have a private divorce. You don't need edim for a divorce, at least min Torah. And many of the achonim tried to figure out what exactly was the issue over here. What's more interesting is that even if she was divorced, and she willingly had Biyah with Achashverosh, then she couldn't return to her husband because of the fact that once a woman has gone to another party after the divorce, she can't return to her husband. The answer to that might be that's only in wedlock, meaning that only if she gets married and has relations with another individual in that wedlock is she restricted from returning to her original husband. But if it's done 
Derech Znut, outside of the framework of marriage, maybe there she should be able to return to her husband and not have the problem of Machzir Gzushato after she has been together with someone else. And some of the Yachonim tried to suggest that the problem wasn't the divorce, but rather the remarrying of Esther afterwards. Because if she had to wait till Hashverosh died, that would have been a very long time. So he'd want to remarry her after she went willingly. He'd remarry her right away because the rest would be the Ones, and then they would have re-engaged in their relationship. And that would have been something that requires publicity because one has to get married with Edim. But either way, it's interesting that Tosafot, again, takes it very literally and therefore is questioning how it could be or why was it that Mordechai didn't do or didn't give a get. And that also supposes that the Biyah with the Hashvirosh is a problem of Arayot and therefore would be a Surah al-Ba'ala, which goes against the view of the Rebbeinu Tam, who views that Biyah with a Goy is like Biyat Be'ema and therefore does not Oser her al-Ba'ala, which the Rivam disagrees with, over here, this is evidence of the fact that it seems that Biat Goy would be Oser, her Alba'ala, and not like the position of the Rebbeinu Tam. This incident also has ramifications, the Aloha, where there's Machloket in the Poskim, how to understand what exactly was happening here with Esther. You know, the Behuda speaks about a very difficult case where there were a group of marauders that took over this group or captured this group of Jews and they were going to kill them all. And then one of the women said that I'm going to go to try and consort with the leader of the group. And if I have Biyah or relations with him, maybe he'll release the group. And that's what happened. She seduces him and he sleeps with her. And then they release the group. And the question was with regards to whether her behavior was correct and whether she was permitted to go back to her husband. And so the Nodi Yudu quotes from the Chubut Bet Yaakov it says that with regards to this incident, the woman did the right thing. She saved all these lives. It was the right thing to do. But nevertheless, she still is a surah lebala. She can't return to her husband. And his evidence is from our Gemara here, by Esther, where she went to do this, Hatzalat, to save people's lives. Nevertheless, she was still a surah to return to Mordechai. And therefore, he compliments the woman and her sacrifice. But in the end, she can't go back to her bala. The Nodibiuda disagrees. It says that with regards to this matter, it's a yehereg v'yal ya'avor, that this woman has to give up her life and not consort with the leader of the group. And that's because when do we say a woman is karka olam, that she's a passive participant in biyah, that's when she's nenas, when she's raped, when she's not a willing participant. But over here, where she's being mishtadelet, she's trying to seduce him, she's active in the engagement with this individual, that's something that's inappropriate. And everybody says that she should not have done this. She should not have acted this way and rather let, let them lose their lives. And of course, she would be a surah the bala. What about the evidence from our case over here where Esther goes to Achashverosh? So he says that you can't bring a proof from that because either Esther was Hatzalat Kol Klal Yisrael, and that's exceptional and you can't extrapolate from that, or she had the ear of Mordechai in the Beitin and they told her that this was the right thing to do. So she had a psakalocha from the Beitin or maybe even a instruction through the Nevi'im to engage in this activity. And therefore, she had a unique case, which you can't extrapolate to other halachot. But you see, many of the post-game try to use this as a basis for determining what the halacha would be, or appropriate behavior would be, for individuals found in difficult circumstances. Vayavor Mordechai. So after receiving that message from Esther, the parak ends with Vayavor Mordechai, Vayas kol Esther. That he does everything that Esther asked him to do. And what does it mean, Vayavor, that he crossed? Amarav Shevir Yom Rishon Pesach with Ta'anit. That he caused the first day of Pesach to be overridden. Because, as Rashi notes over here, the decree went out on the 13th of Nisan. The information got out on the next day. And therefore, they fasted, Yudalit 
Tetvav and Tetzayin. Now, on the night of Tetzayin, that's when Esther approaches Achash Verosh, and therefore the fast day crossed over Pesach. That's by Yavor, means they overrode Pesach in that year because of the danger, because of the Sakanat Nefashot. Ushmol Amar, Davar Arkuma de Mayo. He crossed over what seems to be like a pool of water or a puddle of water. Some suggest that that is the body of water between the capital, the political capital, Shushan, and the city itself of Shushan, that Mordechai, who had been up in the royal part of the city, then crossed back into the regular part of the city. It's to indicate either how involved Mordechai was in trying to bring the people together to do tshuva, or maybe even that it's a small act, and the Gemara's emphasis is that even small acts that are done, the Shem Shamayim, are recorded and are meaningful. As again we saw yesterday, it was on the third day, that Esther wore royalty. Big day machut mi baile. Should say that she wore clothing of royalty, not royalty. So that she was enveloped with a Holy Spirit. And we learned this from the fact that it says here, and it says, by the men of David, it's not clear that when it says, that it was actually Ruach HaKodesh, Rashi over there claims that it was just the fact that he had the gumption to speak in front of the whole group at that point in time. There are also other words and different Torah that are said about Tubash Esther Machot wrote an article with regards to Purim about the shift in Esther between the beginning of the Megillah and later Megillah and this being a transformational moment when she, Tubash Esther Machot, she then takes on or acts like royalty. And now we have a m- number of memrot from Amar Rabbi Lazar, Amar Rabbi Chanina, Lo'olam, Al-Tihi Birkat Hediot Kala Be'enecha, that a bracha of a Hediot, of a layperson, should not be dismissed in your eyes. You should not consider it to be nothing. Two of the greatest leaders were blessed by two lay people, and the blessing came true. David and Daniel, David that Aravna gives a bracha to David Amelech when he's buying field of Aravna Yibusi to build the Beit HaMikdash. And over there he offers him everything, and he says, now, they don't quote you the remainder of the Pasuk, which is the important part of the Pasuk, which is the bracha itself, which is, Hashem Elokecha Yertzecha, that Hashem should receive or be pleased with what you do. And that's what happened. Akash Baruch accepts that this becomes the location for the Beit HaMikdash. Daniel de Berchei Daryavish. Daniel was blessed by Daryavish because when he violates the decree of Daryavish, which is pressed by the nobles that wanted to get rid of Daniel, that you weren't allowed to worship or daven to any other god. And Daniel violates that and davens to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and therefore Daryavish is compelled to follow through with his decree and throw Daniel into the lion's den against his will or against his best judgment. And Daryavish, who is favorably inclined towards Daniel, says to him beforehand, God that you normally worship, who he should save you, he should send his salvation to you. And that's sure enough what happened, he was saved from the lion's den. Now on the opposite side, the curse of a lay person, you should not dismiss the curse of a lay person. Over here, a lay person may not necessarily mean a lay person versus someone of importance, but it just means in relative stature, in between someone who is of a higher standing and someone who is of a lower standing, that one should not dismiss the brocho or the klala of the person of lower standing. 
You could say over here that all the individuals that are mentioned in these memorat of Rabbi Amr are non-Jews, and therefore that's why he has to make the statement about Hejotot. But with regards to Jews, everybody's bracha and klala would be significant. Or maybe this even has application by lay people or someone who's a lower stature, even if they were Jewish. They bring evidence of the fact that you should not take it lightly. That the monies and the materials that he gives to Abraham after he's punished for taking Sarah, and he gets upset at Abraham for not telling him that Sarah was his wife, and Sarah did not indicate that either. He says this will be exutenayim. The way Rashi reads it is that this will prove to everybody that you can leave with a head held high because I had to pay you and therefore I wasn't just throwing you out or using you. And you can walk out and say that he didn't do anything to me because he had to pay to get out of this situation. And therefore it's even more extreme according to that view of Rashi because he didn't even mean it as a curse. He was saying it that it should be exutenayim. But since he mentioned exutenayim, it turned out to be a cloud as we'll see in a second. By the way, the Ramban explains it that people will hide themselves from you, or back away from you because they may be afraid to engage with you, which again would not be a curse, whereas the, seemingly the Gemara is learning at the Pashtu, the Pazukan saying, that he was actually saying, because you hid this from me, and left me with my eyes closed, and I got punished for that, then this is you should also have that, that your eyes shall be closed or covered up. And that Nikaim Mizaran, that actually happens in her offspring, and when Tzach gets old, his eyes dim. And you see here, this Kilat Hediot, especially according to Rashi and the Ramban, there's no Klala here. Nevertheless, it's interpreted as a Klala that people's statements have meaning and have bearing. So again, a member from them, not necessarily associated with the Megillah. God is different than man. First he gets a pot, and then he puts water in the pot to put it on the stove. God puts water first, and then he puts together the pot that's going to hold the waters. The interpretation of the Pasuk, from the great thundering sound of him placing the waters in the heavens, and then only afterwards does he make the Shemaim. So he put the water there first, and then only afterwards the Shemaim. Amar Rabbi again from these same individuals and other memra, Anyone who says something over in the name of the person that gave them the idea or was the one who gave them the information, they bring redemption to the world. That Esther, when she told about the plot of Bitan Beteresh that Mordechai had unveiled, she says in the name of Mordechai, and that's what leads to the Gula later on. When he's reading the Sefer Zichronot, he sees that Mordechai helped him out, and what can we do to repay that to Mordechai? That's the turning point in the Megillah. And the importance of saying B'Shem Omro, Mevi Olam, is because Kodesh Baruch always wants us to recognize that it's really God's intervention and God's doing that brings the salvation. So the individuals involved in the salvation, if they think it's themselves, it's problematic. The fact that Esther realized that it wasn't her, and that she gave credit to Mordechai, is there any indication that she realizes it's not about her, it's about Kodesh Baruch Hu and about what others are doing. And therefore, she's the right person to have the gula when a tzaddik is lost, he's really lost to his generation. It's similar to a person, he lost a precious stone. Wherever the precious stone is, is still a precious stone, and it's still valuable. But it's only lost to its owner, because he can't find it 
or he can't be reconnected with his precious stone. And similar to with the grants to a tzaddik, the tzaddik will remain a tzaddik, he will have the rewards of a tzaddik. The loss of the tzaddik is really felt by the generation in which he lived because they're the ones who are now have to deal without having him there and not having the benefit of having the tzaddik. But the tzaddik himself, like the precious stone, will remain a precious stone, will remain a tzaddik. Now, go back to the Megillah, but the same individuals that are darshaning, that none of this is worthwhile to me. Amr Abel Azar, Amr this is Haman speaking after he has everything going in his favor, but yet when he walks past Mordechai and he doesn't bow down, it ruins everything for him. When he sees him sitting in the gate of the king's palace, none of this is worth anything to me because of him. Why is it not worth anything to him? Because of this, this one comes with his contract. This one comes with his contract. The word Prusbuti and Prusbuli is from the word wealthy for someone who has, and Buti is from someone who is lacking, like Havet Tavitenu De Machsiro. The Gemara in Gitin actually uses this to explain what's the meaning of a Prusbol, which is that it's a document or a Takana for the rich and the poor. It's to facilitate lending to the poor, and to facilitate the ability for the rich to be repaid their loans. And that's what the purpose of a Prusbol is, so here you have a Prusbuti and a Prusbuli, the rich and the poor. And that's a reference to Amara Papa, but Karile Avda the Mizdaben Betalmai. It's a reference to the Gemara coming up in tomorrow's da, that there was prior interactions between Mordechai and Haman. And in those prior interactions, Haman came out on the lower end, that he had fallen on hard times, didn't have the means by which to support himself. Therefore, he sells himself as a slave to Mordechai. And that means that whatever Haman owns is going to go to his master, Mordechai. And that's what's making Haman so upset, and he wants to get rid of Mordechai so that he can rid himself of this obligation or this encumbrance to Mordechai. And that's what it is. Each one of them is coming with their document. One is coming to prove bully, coming with his wealthy document, the one who owns the slave. The other one's coming to prove booty, coming with his document that he is enslaved. And that's the Gemara's hint to this idea that there was this prior relationship between them. And that relationship is undermining everything that Haman's doing because Mordechai still has the upper hand on him. And like the Gemara does in many places, it sees the word zeh as being something that you can tangibly point to or you can see. And it says the same thing over here. That all of his wealth, everything that he had was imprinted on his heart, was with him. And he sees Mordechai sitting in the gateway to the king's palace, Amar Kozeh, pointing to that which is on his heart, and then Shoveli, it's not worth anything to me. Amar Abelazer, Amar Abelazer, same pair again. Atira Kosh Atara Barosh Kosadik Vitzadik. Future Kosh will be a crown on the heads of every righteous individual. Shinamar, so they quote the Pasuk from Yishayahu, which is the Haftorah for Parshat Shmot. Yomu Yashem Tfakot Bateretzvi, Ultzfirat Tifara, Lishaaramo, Uluruach Mishpat, and then it continues. And then it ends with the pasuk that's found in Pirkei Avot. The translation is on that day, a Kodesh Baruch will become like a crown of beauty and a diadem of glory on the remnant of his people, and a spirit of judgment for him who sits in judgment, and of valor 
for those who repel attacks at the gate. But those that are muddled in wine or reeling from wine and dazed or staggering from intoxicating beverages, dot, 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 they will stumble in judgment. Now the Gemara is going to interpret that pasuk. What's the meaning of this pasuk, which is for a teret a, a crown of glory, a diadem of beauty, the word svi means tzivyono, those that do his bidding or do his will, and it'll be a diadem for those that are mitzapim, tifarto, that await his glory. You think this has application to everyone? Tamalomar, the shar amo, that only to the residual of his people. Kol mi Anybody makes himself like residue or like a leftover, meaning that he doesn't hold himself in high esteem, but is humble and submissive before Kaddish Baruch Hu, they're the ones who will be benefiting from waiting to see the glory of God and doing the will of God. Now the Gemara continues to darshan the Pasuk. Uluruach Mishpat. It'll be for the Sheramol, for those that are Shirayim, as well as Loshev Mishpat, Luruach Mishpat, Zedaned Yitzro. That's someone who judges his Yetzer. As Rashi says over here, Kofeyu Lashub B'Tshuva. He compels his Yetzer to do Tshuva. Uluroshev Al HaMishpat. One who sits in judgment. Zedan Din Emet Lamito. This is someone who comes to a proper conclusion, takes the case, and adjudicates it to its true conclusion. And as Tosvah points out over here, because if you don't do it carefully, and you're not meticulous about taking care of the din, then there could be a din mirumah. You can even though you're doing the din till its end, you might not get to the wrong conclusion, because there are people who are cheating, cunning, and deceiving, and therefore you have to do din dinyamet. Le'amito, get to the bottom of it, get to the truth, get to the right conclusion. Ulegvura. This is someone who overcomes his Yetzer, doesn't follow his Yetzer to do Averot, but rather is able to overcome it. Those that turn back the battle, the Shara, to the gate, that refers to those that are engaged in the battle of Torah, learning Torah, Shara. At the gate, they get up early and leave late from the shuls and from the Bate Midrash, and they're like shoarim. They're like gatekeepers because they open the gates in the morning, they close the gates at night. Similar question that the Malachi Asherite asked when B'nai Yisrael was standing at the Yam Suf, and they asked, What's the difference between those that are facing annihilation and those that are the pursuers over here. And Akarish Baruch Hu has to defend B'nai Yisrael because they are Halalu of Dei Avazara and Halalu of Dei Avazara. They're both of Dei Avazara. And a similar claim is made here with regards to the story of Purim. Amalak Akarish Baruch Hu, Yisrael Osku B'Torah. Umotolam lo Osku B'Torah. B'nai Yisrael engaged in Torah learning. Umotolam didn't. And so that's how they're differentiated. Samarlei. So the Midah Tadin says to Akarish Baruch Hu, Gam Ele Bayayin Shagu. These also were reeling from wine and are staggering from intoxication. They're no different than the Umot Olam because they also were drinking and engaged in the same activities as the other nations. And therefore, and then it goes, da, 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 it goes to the end of the Pasuk, Paku Pliliya, that they stumbled in judgment. What the Midat Adin is saying is that not all of Klaiso engaged in Torah, Majority of the Yisrael are engaged in the same activities as the rest of the other nations, and those that are engaged in Torah are culpable because of a revolt. Or it could be the other way around, in that not everybody is involved in Torah. Even those that are involved in Torah, they also behind shagul and therefore they're not deserving of salvation. So they're going to stumble in judgment, 
And ain't Paku el Gehinom. Paku is reference to Gehinom Shinamar from the Pasuk that we quoted yesterday from Abigail. This should not be a stumbling block for you. And she's saying that David consorting with her would have been a stumbling block and the way Chazal learned it, it would have landed him in Gehinom. And Pliliyah's judgment or judge is Shinamar Natan Biliflilim that you have to pay based on what the judges determine. And so, therefore, you will stumble into Geinom from the judgment because of the fact that you acted no different than the other nations. And this seems to be an indictment of Claudius at the time of Mordechai and Esther, who are assimilated and joining the Suda of Oto Rasha. And therefore, the Midat Adin points out, I don't know why there's any need or why they're deserving of salvation. And it seems to me that Hashem has no response to that. The Tamod Bechatzar Beit Amelach Apnimit says that Esther reaches the inner chamber of the king's courtyard. Malevi came and she gathered Beit Atzlamim. Once she reached the area of the idols, Nistakai Mena Shechina. Not unexpectedly, the Shechina leaves her. Amra, and then she says, based on the Perak Tehilim of Lamatzeach Ayelat Hashachar, which you saw in the Gemara and Yoma, is a reference to Esther, who is like the Ayelat Hashachar, and is also known as Istar, which is the morning star. Keli, Keli, Lama Zavtani, God, God, why have you left me? Shema Tadan al Shugei Maybe you consider someone who does something accidentally, like they do it intentionally. Balonais Kiratzon, or someone who is compelled like someone does it willingly. This is a reference to the fact that she has to now go and submit herself to Achash Rosh. And she's saying, I'm not doing this willingly. I'm doing this because I need to save Klal Yisrael. And you're judging me as Ones Keratzon. When I'm compelled, you make it as if I'm doing this willingly. That's how Rashi explains it, although it's a little difficult because the Gemara before said she would be a Surah Lebala. That goes back to the discussion before about whether a woman's allowed to do such a thing, even though it's going to make her a Surah Lebala, even though she's doing it willingly, knowing that it's going to make her a Surah Lebala. And therefore, she might still be considered an ones, not a ratzon. Shogegemezid, the marshal suggests, might reference to Vigdan and Teresh, that she revealed the plot to kill the king, and maybe that was a mistake. She maybe accidentally kept the king alive, who then promoted Haman and caused the problem. And you're judging me, someone who did something unintentionally thought saving the king was the right thing to do, Gemezid, like someone who did it intentionally. Or, Shema, you left me, because I called him a dog. It's not clear who it's referencing to here, Shinemar. Hatzila, quoting from the same parak in Tehillim, Hatzila mecherv nafshi miyad kelev yechidati, to deliver my nefesh from the sword, and the one who is special or unique to me should save me from the hands of the dog, the karato aryeh. And then she changes her tune and calls him a lion, shinemar, hosheni mi aryeh, save me from the mouth of the lion. So either at first she called Haman a kelev and said save me from the kelev Haman, and the reason she didn't get a response was because it's not only about Haman, it's about Achashverosh. Achashverosh is represented by the Aryeh, the lion, and therefore she needed to ask for salvation from the lion, not just from the Kelv, not just from Haman. Or it could be that she at first thought that Haman was just the Kelv, and that was sufficient to ask for salvation from the Kelv. But it turns out that that denigration was something that maybe didn't grant her salvation, and then she has to upgrade and say, save me from the mouth of the lion, Mean that Haman is a much greater problem or bigger issue, and therefore she has to change her tune. The king gets sight of the queen. Three angels entered with her at that time. One that raised her neck to make her more beautiful. One that gave her an appearance or a sense of grace. The one that pulled the, the scepter of the king to reach out to Esther. 
And now the grass, the kama, how much did the scepter extend? It was originally two amot, and it grew to twelve in order to allow for Esther to enter, meaning to grant her permission to come in. Some say sixteen. Some say twenty-four. In a bright that we have, there was sixty amot, and all this is an indication of how this was a miraculous event. She had been fasting for three days. Her appearance was, as we said before, gone and sunken face, maybe dark, or maybe even Yirak Roket. And therefore she needed a Chutzel Chesed, meaning that she knew that when she entered with three days of fasting, and so the rest of Klaiso who fasted with her knew that when she was going in, it wasn't her beauty that was going to win, because it was about beauty. Fasting for three days is not the way to go about convincing the king to listen to you. Therefore they would also know that the only way this is going to work is through beseeching Hashem and through the munificence and beneficence of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And they'll know that because her appearance was no longer something they could win. And that's what the Malachi Sharet going with there showed that God is intervening. And this is really a nace, the ability of Esther to win the salvation of the Jews. Similar is the story with regards to the Agadotah found in Sotah Daf Bet with regards to Bat Paro reaching out to grab Moshe, and the Gemara there interprets it not that she sent one of her maidservants, but rather that her amata, her arm, extended. So too you find the same thing with the teeth of the Rishayim, again, in the Gadot, that you broke the teeth of the evil ones. Not that you broke them, that you extended them, had them grow out. And that's Rashi, close over here, the story of Og Melech Abashan, who was trying to destroy B'nai Israel, and he picks up a mountain, carries it over his head, in order to throw it on B'nai Israel. In the interim, the ants come and dig a hole in the mountain, and it causes it to collapse around his neck. And then he goes to pull it back off his neck, and his teeth grew out, and wedged it back on his head, so he couldn't get the mountain back off of him. And that's how Hashem punished or broke the Rishayim with their teeth growing, similar to rodents who have continuously growing teeth, unless they're sharpened and worn down, they will grow and inhibit their ability to do anything, and so do over here. His teeth grew out, and then it inhibited his ability to remove the mountain. Heard from his Rebbe, from his Rebbe, Matayim, that it went 200 amot, and the Marsha, in all these cases, has explanations for how you find these numbers in the Psukim. Esther at the Suda, he says to her, what do you want? What is your request? Until half of the kingdom, I will do anything that pleases you. First of all, only half the kingdom, not the whole kingdom. Not something that, either you can read this as divides the Machut, meaning that it's divisive, they will do something like that, or something that Chotzeitz HaMachut sits in the center of the world, or center of the Machut. Mainiu, and what is that? Binyan Beit HaMikdash, the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash. Either because it's something that sits at the center of the world, so that's the veiled references too, that you can't ask for that, or it's a reference to the fact that it was divisive, because the other nations were... Tried to stop the building of the Beit Mingdash, and B'nai Israel wanted to continue it, and it would cause divisiveness if he allowed that to happen, and that was not permitted. Okay, we're going to stop here, 18 lines from the bottom of Tedvav Amudbet.